How are you this morning? Thank you both. You know, they tell you, that, that's, one of the, that's one of the communications cardinal rules. Never lead with a question. I like to be a little contrarian sometimes. Hey, will you do me a favor? Join me in thanking our worship team, our band, and our tech crew who does such an amazing job. Thank y'all all. Week in and week out. It's pretty remarkable. And I want you to keep the, keep the lyrics of that song kind of in your frontal lobe. But before we dive into the message... I came with a gift this morning. I'm going to just reiterate something that Mike said just a second ago about the Fearless Mom. First ever Fearless Mom Conference coming up next Saturday is going to be absolutely phenomenal. And Julie, my bride, the original Fearless Mom, she has a gift for you. She said last night, I want to do something for those people who are at church. If you're watching online, you're sick. We know you would be here. Otherwise, this is for you also. If you're here today, there is a special gift. If you have not yet registered for the conference, there is a special code that you can get $20 off if you register today using the code LASTCALL. LASTCALL, all one word. If you're a mom, if you know a mom, you need to make sure that you are going to be a part of this thing next week, and it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Also, I want to make sure that those of you who aren't going to be here, like if you're a dude, I want to make sure that you know as a church, thank you for being that kind of church that provides this. The heart behind Fearless Mom is the same heart behind Lake Hills Church family, to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. As Fearless Mom gives moms hope and handles and inspiration and challenge. And one of the great things that Fearless Mom does is that it removes guilt and isolation. How many of you know that mom guilt is a real thing? Let me see a show of hands for moms who know. I've heard. I don't suffer from mom guilt, which I think is good, but I know that it's a real thing that's out there. So fearless mom is just one of those things. It's just an expression. It's an outgrowth of who we are as a church family. Also, Lisa Harper will be one of the primary presenters at the Fearless Mom Conference. She's going to be here on Sunday morning preaching next weekend. She is one of the greatest biblical communicators on the planet. She's unbelievable. She'll be in the service next weekend. You want to make it a point to be here and bring somebody with you. She is so gifted. She's as real as rain. She's from Nashville. She's an incredible, incredibly gifted communicator, seminary degree, preacher, extraordinaire. Lisa Harper will be here next Sunday morning. You'll want to be a part of that. I'm going to be here because I can't wait to see and learn and listen to her next weekend. Now, the song that we just celebrated, the song that we just heard, I found you along the way. Isn't that a great description of what happens so, so many times when folks get married. You know, for the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Marriage Material. And I think a lot of times when people think about marriage material, what they're describing is who is or maybe who isn't marriage material, somebody that you would marry. How many of you know that not everybody should be marriage material? Can I just see a show of hands? Now, if you're sitting next to your spouse who isn't, just kind of, we'll work through that together today. But this has been one of those things where you kind of have an opportunity to pull back. We're here in the lab on Sunday mornings before we go out onto the rugged plains of reality. And I think marriage material is a great way for us to wrap up this series as we kind of put a 
put a bow on it. I started thinking about when we were planning this series and preparing for it, I thought, Siri, please shut up. Thank you. We can edit that out in post. <clears throat> What's the sermon? I'm just kidding. I got it. I'm back. But I started thinking about in preparing for this series of sermons. That's what she heard, Siri. Listen, I need, I, I need all the help I can get. I get so easily distracted. I'm like, squirrel! But when I was preparing for this thing we've been doing for the last few weeks, I thought about how many of us are not married. How many of us are students? How many of us are singles? How many of us are maybe divorced but may get married again? And it's always so, so important that we understand and we remember how precious, how valued every member of the church family is. And then I started thinking, of all of the sermons that I've heard over the course of my lifetime, all of the teaching that I have done, all of the messages I've delivered, I've heard a really, really, really small numbering, just a, a precious handful of sermons devoted to the subject of marriage material. What is, who is marriage material? And then I started thinking, you know, the same things that help you to marry well are the very things that you use to stay well-married. And so I realized this is actually a great way for us to conclude this series today. So I'm just going to give you a list today. This is going to be hyper, hyper practical, rooted in the Word of God, but just a list of non-negotiables for marriage. What are the things that you should never settle for less than when looking for a spouse. What are the things that we should be as spouses? We said at the very beginning of this series that our, our biblical foundation, not just for the series, but for marriage as a whole, is Ephesians chapter number five. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 21 and 31, Ephesians five is, is God's marriage manifesto, if you will, and he explains not only what marriage is, but why we do marriage. And gives us the anchor and the underpinnings for this incredible, miraculous mystery called marriage. He says this in Ephesians 5, 21 and 31. He says, now further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. We, we said at the very beginning that the object of marriage, the, the goal, if you will, of the truly wed game is to create and to demonstrate unity. It's right there in Ephesians chapter 5 under the, the working of the pen of the apostle Paul, echoing Genesis chapter 2, for this reason a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. But verse 21 in Ephesians 5 is, is that great little two-syllable, six-letter word, submit. Everybody say submit. 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 Isn't that fun? Don't we all just love to submit to people? 
I love submitting. <laughs> submitting is just so, so much fun. I wake up every day and say, Julie, how can I serve you? How can I submit to you? Anybody else love to submit? Can I just say, yeah, that's what I thought. Nobody raises their hand. There's something inside of us that makes submission an initial challenge. There's something inside of us. I think part of it is because we're Americans and we believe in independence, the self-made man, the self-made woman, but it's actually really rooted in something much deeper. And that is our own our own spirit. We're born into this world believing inherently that we are the center of the universe. We, we really believe that. And, and early on, it, every piece of evidence points us to that theory. We cry, ah, somebody jumps to our need. We're dirty, ah, we'll clean them up. We're hungry, ah, we'll feed them. Ah, we're tired, we'll put them down to bed. And so for the first 9, 12 months, 18 months, 22 years of our lives, <laughs> but it's, it's godly wise parents who help to disavow their children of that belief that they're the center of the universe. And here, the Bible says that, that, that God-ordained, gospel-driven marriage is accomplished through mutual submission, submitting to one another. No wonder the Bible says that this is a great mystery. Isn't that the truth? If you think about it, that, that two people come from separate, disparate, distinct families of origin and we're, we're automatically, by, by nature, we're, we're self-centered sinners. That's how we're born into this world. And yet, somehow, we're supposed to come together and be united into one. No wonder it is a mystery. And yet, this is exactly what God calls us to when he calls us to marriage. Some people, he calls to singleness. Some people have the spiritual gift of celibacy. Some of you thinking, I don't want that gift. But if you have that gift, you celebrate it. You understand that you have a special and unique office in the kingdom of God. You've got a unique role to play in the purposes of God in this world. And so as a church, we celebrate that with you. We, we want to come alongside and help you. But if you don't have that spiritual gift, if that's not your calling in life, what is it that you're looking for in marriage? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 says this. Proverbs 18.22 says, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure. Now, obviously, the book of Proverbs was written in a very patriarchal environment and society. We, we all know that the flip side of that could also be very, very well said. The woman who finds a husband, whew, that's a treasure, that is a rare and unique gift to find a godly, selfless, submissive husband in this world. Somebody help me preach. <laughs> but you find favor from the Lord. So what is it, what are the non-negotiables when you're looking for a spouse? Not only in your life, but for those of us who are parents, how do we... How do we build this into our kids? How do we equip our kids? 
How do we as a church equip single adults to know what they're looking for? I think a lot of times as parents, we spend much more time trying to get them into the right college than helping them to have a great marriage. And as parents, this is our job to equip them to make the most significant, life-altering, human relational decision they will ever make. Here are the non-negotiables of marriage. Number one, the first marriage non-negotiable is that you marry someone who is spiritually hungry. Spiritually hungry. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They hunger, they're, they're, they're thirsty for the righteousness of God, for they will be filled. Now, this is number one, non-negotiable. We're going to spend a little bit of time camped out here more so than in the other ones. We've only got about two hours left in this sermon, so I want to make sure that we get the most out of our time. I'm just kidding. If you're visiting with us, that's a joke. We like to see if you're paying attention. But to say that someone is spiritually hungry means that they are pursuing their relationship with Christ above every other part of their lives. That spiritual hunger. Here's why this is a gift. When you go after somebody who's spiritually hungry, you're going after someone who is chasing the one thing that can satisfy their soul, a relationship with Christ. Nothing else in this world works. That's why God says in the Ten Commandments, you will have no other gods before me, because he knows nothing else satisfies, nothing else fills you, nothing else fulfills you. And so if you're looking for a spouse, you, you set as the number one priority, the non-negotiable, somebody who is spiritually hungry. Now, I know, some of us, you may be married to someone who's not spiritually hungry. That's, that's a different category altogether. You have the opportunity, you have the responsibility to model for that person the love of God. You have the opportunity to share with them the gospel by the way that you live, the way that you talk, the way that you share, the way that you act, the, way that, the tone of voice that you use. The Bible says if you are a Christian and you're married to a non-Christian, then you have a unique opportunity and obligation to show that man, to show that woman the perfect, unconditional love of God with the hope that they will accept it as their own. But if you're not yet married, then you have the opportunity to make sure that you start out on the same page as husband and wife so that you step back and you go, this is our priority. This is our foundation as a couple, as husband and his wife. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you might want to just use that as a reference and write it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Do not be yoked together. How many of you know that marriages work? Can I just see a show of hands? If you know, look, some of you are like, I don't know if I should raise my hand. Honey, I don't know what he's saying. This is just sheer joy. Well, you know, Marriage, it's not something that just happens. You know, it's, it's like, it is this opportunity to create something beautiful and something powerful, but 
But you, don't, you never create something beautiful by accident. Think about paintings. Anytime you've seen a masterpiece, like if you've ever seen the, the Mona Lisa in the Louvre or the David in Italy, you, you know that there, there are rivers of spilled paint. There are miles and miles of corrected canvases long before something becomes a masterpiece that hangs in the gallery. You know, uh, famed wildlife photographer and nature photographer Ansel Adams, he, he said, you don't just take a great picture, you make a great picture. Marriage is making the great picture of unity, united in spirit and soul. And when the Bible says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, it's not some kind of spiritual elitism, like if you're not a Christian, then you're not good enough. It's actually an act of love and grace on the part of God for both the believer and the non-believer. Because where you are spiritually is at the very core of who you are. And unless you're compatible spiritually, everything else that you build up on top of that base is tenuous at best. God says, make sure that you are spiritually compatible, that you are both, as husband and wife, spiritually hungry. Because when you hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God, the, the moral purity of God, then you will be filled. If you think for a second that you're going to satisfy and fulfill somebody else's needs in their life, you are setting them up for massive disappointment, massive frustration. No one can satisfy the needs that we were created for only God to satisfy. And so we have to start out with that spiritual hunger. That's, that's first and foremost. And again, maybe, maybe you didn't get married for that reason. Maybe you got married just because she was hot. Maybe you got married just because he's a nice guy. Maybe now's the time to begin. You, you cultivate that spiritual hunger you, you do what it takes to grow spiritually. You spend time in the Word. You become a part of the family of faith, not just showing up on Sundays. But that spiritual hunger it is first and foremost. Number two in the marriage non-negotiables is somebody who is emotionally mature. Somebody who is emotionally mature. You, you want somebody <clears throat> who can control their emotions. You don't want to, you know, the only time a roller coaster is fun is if you're at Disney World. Being married to a roller coaster is exhausting. How many of you know somebody, not the person you're married to, but you know somebody who is an emotional roller coaster? Can I see a show of hands if you know somebody like that? Again, not your spouse, per se, but you know somebody. It's, it's exhausting. Here's what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. There, there's no protection. There are no guardrails. If it comes in here, it comes out there. But you want to look for somebody who's, who's got some emotional stability. I'm not talking about emotional flatline comatose, but they... They can regulate their emotions. That's why it's so, so important that you date over a period of time, an extended period of time. Now, I know, I know. 
your Uncle Fred and Aunt Margaret, they knew each other for three days, and then they propose, he proposed, and they got married, and they've been married for 45 years. Awesome for Fred and Margaret. I know of people who've won the lottery, too. That's the exception that proves the rule. You want to see somebody, how they handle life over time. How do they handle challenges and setbacks? Do they, do they slip into victim mode? Or how do they handle victories and celebrations? Do, do they stay humble after they've had a win, after they get a promotion or a raise? Or do they kind of walk around like, you know, I am the man. You're lucky to be with me. You don't want to marry that. You want somebody who is emotionally mature. Number three, this is one I didn't know to ask for, but God bless me with Julie. You want somebody who is personally driven. Personally driven. You want somebody with a work ethic. You, you want somebody who will actually get up and go every day that you don't have to go, honey, honey, it's time to go. There's the alarm. You're going to get fired. You got to go. You do not want that. Now, we're not talking about workaholism where work becomes the idol. We're talking about somebody with a strong work ethic. Colossians 3.23 says this, work, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Now remember, the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. You, you want somebody who will get up and go, somebody who believes in being productive. Now, that doesn't mean somebody whose goal in life is to get rich. This is somebody who is productive, somebody who works. I, I had no idea when I married Julie the work ethic that God had cultivated in her life. She works harder than anybody I've ever met in my life. She worked so hard. Now, when we got married, I knew that she loved the Lord. I knew she had that spiritual hunger. I figured out very, very early that she's a great kisser. So we had the basics covered. But her work ethic, the, the amount of work that I have seen her pour into being a mom, the amount of work that I've seen her pour into being married to me is overwhelming. The work I see her do that nobody else sees in prayer, the work I see her do that nobody else sees as she prepares to speak or to preach. Julie has, she is, she is beautiful. She is godly. She is that treasure that the Bible talked about, we read about earlier. But she has a beautiful, godly, I mean, workhorse work ethic. Unbelievable. So you, you want somebody who, who will get up and go. Somebody who is motivated to serve God and to produce with their lives. Number four, you need somebody who is financially aware. Somebody who is financially aware. And by aware, I mean they have a clue. Proverbs 27, 23 says, know the state of your flocks. Know what condition your flocks are in. And put your heart into caring for your herds. You, you want somebody who is financially aware so that you can get on the same page financially, so that you can get on the same page financially, so that you can get 
on the same page financially so that you can get on the same page financially. What I'm saying is so that you can get on the same page financially. Whatever page that you're on is really secondary to the fact that it's the same page. The number one reason that people cite for divorce is financial stress and anxiety. Now, that's the number one reason that they cite, but that's not the number one reason. The actual reason is financial unsamepageness. <laughs> They're not on the same page. The thing about money is money can be an amazing help to clarify priorities. Jesus said, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be also. Are you on the same page? Do you have the same priorities? Well, yes, of course we do. Well, have you talked about your budget? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, we, we kind of, I mean, get on the same page. You need somebody who's financially aware, somebody who, who cares about what's coming in and what's going out. Somebody just pays attention to it. Again, it doesn't matter if you've got a little, you've got a medium amount, or you've got like a bunch. You've got to be on the same page. You've got to be on the same page priority-wise. This has worked for Julie and me since we first got married. Julie loves columns and decimal points and like budgets. And, and back in the day when you balanced a checkbook, if you've never heard of a checkbook, ask somebody older than you. But, but Julie loved to balance the checkbook. Now the bank does it for us. We keep up with everything. We know we can see it all at a moment's notice. It's awesome. But when we first got married and she started balancing the checkbook, she's like, this is so much fun. I was like, man, that is awesome. We're going to get you the counseling that you need, but thank you for doing that. But what we did, I, I, don't, I like the big picture. I like to know what the priorities are, what's going where. Great, we'll talk about it. And then give me an allowance. I've been the primary breadwinner pretty much since we got, when we first got married, I was in a seminary and Julie was a public school teacher. We were loaded. <laughs> but even then, we budgeted, we talked about it, we tithed. All of those conversations happened and we would have the conversation, and then I'd get an allowance. I was fine with that. We had talked about it. It was for gas or clothes or taking her out on a date. Man, I still remember the first date that we had as a married couple. We saved up our, our um, entertainment budget for three months so that we could go to the State Fair of Texas. We bought corn dogs and, and what's the funnel cake? Oh. We didn't ride much, but man, we ate like kings that day. <laughs> but we were on the same page. To get on the same page, you have to identify the page and talk about it. Get on the same page. Number five, sexually generous. Somebody ought to shout amen real quick. <laughs> sexually generous. This is what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless, this is important, this is biblical, unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. So it's not about having a headache. It's about prayer time. 
That was funny. You should have laughed at that. People don't know when to laugh. When you talk about sex, they're like, well, we're in church. I don't know. Is that okay? Is that serious? It's okay. Just, everybody just take a deep cleansing breath real quick. It's great. It's fine. Do not deprive unless you both, both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Some of you all of a sudden are committed to Bible memory. You know what happened one time? I was preaching on this verse a long time ago when we were still meeting in the high school. I, I preached and this verse was in the sermon and I, you know, we finished the Sunday morning and, and one of the sheriff's deputies who was working with us that weekend came over and said, Pastor, can I ask you a question? I need to talk to you. I was like, something happened? Do we have a security issue or a breach that I need to know about? Get nervous. He goes, what, what was that verse in Corinthians that you talked about? Because my wife is never going to believe that's in the Bible. That's funny. <laughs> but sexual generosity requires emotional maturity. It, it requires financial peace. It, it requires that you're on the same page. Sexual generosity is also something to consider before you get married. If you're dating someone who says to you, I want God's best for our relationship, so we're going to wait until we get married to have sex because I, I believe what God says in the Bible and I want, I want the best for you and for me and for our marriage. If, if that's the person you're dating, could be a keeper. Somebody who's like, hey, that is important, because here's the truth. If you will honor God with this part of your life, he will bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. He will guard and protect your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus with the peace that passes understanding. And so, ladies, if you're dating somebody and he's like, whoa, 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 we're not going there until we're married, if we get married. <laughs> if a guy tells you that, you better put him at the top of the list. Not saying he's home free just yet, but I'm saying any guy who cares about you that much, who wants to protect that part of your relationship, that's somebody that God has a hold of in a powerful, powerful way. I'm not talking about somebody who just tolerates, like, all right, fine, I'll wait. but somebody who, who celebrates that waiting with you, somebody who, who is engaged in that. And that, that's true, male or female. But for anyone to say, we're, we're gonna wait for God's best and hang on. Listen, by the grace of God, Julie and I were able to wait until we got married. And listen, she wanted me so bad. But I said, Julie... But what did work, in all honesty, what did work so well was the fact that if, if one of us felt like we were maybe getting weak or starting to stumble in that area, the other one would say, hey, 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 remember what we said? Like, yes, yeah, I, okay. Want to play video games? I mean, whatever. 
But in marriage, you want somebody who's sexually generous. Somebody who's like, this, this is a gift to be celebrated, to be shared together. And then number six, somebody who is relationally engaged. Somebody who is relationally engaged. The book of Proverbs, God's essay on wisdom, says this. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend loves at all times. At all times. When you're mad, when you're glad. When you're up, when you're down. When things are good, when things are not. A friend loves at all times. They're, 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 they're in it to win it with you. You see, that's why the miraculous mystery of marriage requires mutually assured submission. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ to stay relationally engaged. Now, now here, here's, the, here's the ultimate takeaway. Because marriage is, is cool as far as it goes. But remember, marriage is designed to create and demonstrate unity because it points us towards Christ. Whatever you believe about God, Whatever your preconceived notion, maybe even your subconscious concept of God may be, you can't say that he is remote. You can't say that he's, he's distant because of Jesus. You see, Jesus relationally engaged Jesus left his rightful place in heaven in the throne room of God Almighty, and he came to earth. He came to be one of us. He came to be with us. Emmanuel, God, with us, engaged. And then he became my sin and your sin. He, he engaged to and through the point of death on the cross. When he became our sin, he took the, he took the penalty. He, he, he paid the price, and he died. But then he did what we couldn't have done for ourselves, and he rose again. He rose again on the third day with the offer of new life for anyone who would believe in him. Anyone. Anyone is you. Anyone is me. Anyone is, is you watching online. Anyone is anyone who would believe and follow him. So, 
Absolutely. Our prayer is that marriage material helps in the here and the now and strengthens marriages and equips those who aren't married, who may be married at some point in the future. Yes. But it's ultimately about Christ. It's ultimately about a relationship with him that transcends every other relationship. I want to ask you if you would bow your head for just a moment. And in this moment, we want to give you the opportunity to step into that relationship. If you've never, never done that, maybe you've never heard or understood this thing about the relationship and what exactly Christ did on the cross and through the cross and in his resurrection. But now that you know, you want to participate in that. You want that eternal life that is truly life starting right here and right now. If that's you, then we invite you just to pray right where you're sitting. Just silently to talk, talk to God's heart straight from your heart and say something like this in your own words. Just say, Jesus, I need you. That's right, just silently talk to him. He knows your heart, but he wants to engage with you. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness and your grace. And so I confess my sin to you. I'm holding nothing back. But I bring you my sin. I bring you my life in order to receive your grace and your life. And I will follow you from this moment with everything I have. I pray this prayer in your name. For those of you who just prayed that prayer, as a church, we get to help with what's next. We want to help. It's our privilege. Because this is just the beginning for you. And so I'm going to ask you if you would just right now quietly do a couple of things so that we can help. First of all, if you would just take out the program that you got when you came in. Open it up. If you're online, you can drop us a note, an email. But just fill out this connect card. Give us your name and contact information. You'll notice about a third of the way down on the card is a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. And once you've completed filling out that card, you can just tear it off along the fold. Fold it in half if you want to. And when we dismiss in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to hand that to one of our ushers, one of our hosts. And what that does is it just initiates a conversation that happens at whatever pace works for you. 
so that we can help. A second thing, if you would, just briefly as our heads are bowed, would you mind just raising your hand? Just if you prayed that prayer of commitment today, would you just lift your hand high in the air for a second and hold it there as a statement of what God's done in your life? But it's also a statement of what God's done and does in the life of this church. And so as a family, we honor that and celebrate that with you. You can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.